we're going to do an introduction. We're going to spend the next two weeks looking at Psalm 119. So today is something of an introduction, and then next week we're going to get into a little more specifically as how how to apply that in our daily disciplines and our time with the Lord. So before we get started, let me pray for us. Father God, we praise you for the power and the beauty of your word. We thank you how personally you speak to us in it. I pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. Give us an expansive view of who you are and the treasure you have placed before us in your word. Help us to receive your word today as coming to us personally from a loving and great God. We pray that you would sharpen our minds, captivate our hearts, and inflame our affections to love you, to hate sin, and to walk in all the freedom and power that you intend for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good. We'll start with just the uh, first couple verses of Psalm 119. Maybe. I don't think it's going, guys. I'll go ahead and just read them while they're working on the slides. If you would turn just to Psalm 119, that's pretty easy. We'll be spending most of our time there today. So if you have your Bibles or your device, uh, please turn to Psalm 119. We're going to start with just the first two verses and want to focus on just a few concepts as we get started. Um, Psalm 119, 1 through 2. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of Yahweh. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. They seek him with all their heart. And there's some key words that we see repeated in Psalm 119 that I'd like to start with today. And those, those words are blessed, as we see here, delight, and revive. So if we look at, um, just I'll give you a brief overview of those. So we saw, we saw blessed right there in Psalm 119, 1 through 2. We look at Psalm 119, 24. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. So that's Psalm 119.24. And then Psalm 119.37, cause my eyes to turn away from looking at worthlessness and revive me in your ways. I didn't, yeah, there we go. And revive me in your ways. So let's dive in a little bit to the word blessed. Blessed is the Hebrew word, um, which I will probably mispronounce, Esser, I believe is it. A masculine noun meaning a person's state of bliss. Um, and so in America, we don't use that word very much. We use the word happiness a lot. In our culture, uh, the pursuit of happiness is something people talk a lot about. I just want my children or my friends or whoever to be happy. And I think that's pretty shallow uh, compared to what the Lord has for us. Uh, bliss is something infinitely deeper. Uh, it is to be justly satisfied in the soul, not lustfully satiated in one's flesh. It's something much deeper, right? It has a depth and permanence about it. It's resilient in all circumstances. So this, this idea of how blessed, the idea is it's, it's almost indescribable, how blessed we are, right, to, to walk in God's word. Now, this might seem elusive to us. I don't know about you, but this isn't my everyday, every moment experience, but it's a goal, it's a vision that God sets in front of us to seek, um, and so we look at it and we say, well, of whom is this blessing spoken? In the, in the verses there, it is, bl it is spoken of those whose way is blameless, 
who walk in God's law, who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. And I think if you see those phrases from Psalm 119, 1 through 2, you see something far deeper than just going through the motions, right? Just following a checklist of obedience. It is this heartfelt obedience to a loving God. Um, and so the, the question or the, the challenge that I place before you today is, do these attributes consume you? Do they inflame your heart with a desire for God? And I would say that if not, then Psalm 119 is for you. Psalm 119 is a, is a great gift that God has given us to cultivate these things in our lives. Because I think you can see that these things don't naturally come to us. And they need to be cultivated. I have found Psalm 119 to be so useful to me in, um, in having a fruitful walk with God. So Psalm 119 will constantly and persistently remind you of who God is and the nature of the riches that you have in his word. You know, in, in, in my daily disciplines, um, part of what I do, Psalm 119, we'll get into this more, a little bit more next week, but Psalm 119 is divided into 22 sections, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so each morning I take one of those sections and I just kind of read through it and I think about it. And I, I tell you, I find it just... It just sharpens my focus to recognize, oh, this is what I'm, this is what I'm about to get into. These, these riches, these things that will do such great things in my life, that will give me an expansive view of God and all he has for me. So I find that that is a great way to, pr- to prepare me for whatever it is I'm going to read as my main text in my devotional time. Next, we look at delight. Uh, delight is the Hebrew, I'm not going to pronounce that. Uh, in, case, in this case, it's a verb meaning to take delight in, to fondle. It refers to taking joy or enjoyment from something, especially God's law. So let's just, I'll just read through uh, those few verses there. So Psalm 119, 16 says, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Verse 47 I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And then verse 40, going back a little bit. May your loving kindness, I'm sure, I'm sorry, that's probably 140. Let's look ahead a little bit. But we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more. We see the light all throughout Psalm 119. The concept is there, your word is exceedingly refined, therefore your servant loves it. So when we think about the word delight, um, we think about what our default mode of thinking is. If you stop and think, where does your mind go? What does it naturally think about when it's not thinking about anything else? So when I think about delight, I think delight is our default. In other words, what our thoughts default to is what we delight in. And that can be a real diagnostic, can it be, to where our hearts are. Um, God would have us delight first and foremost in him and in his word. So like I said, just think about that. What what is your go-to? What is your default? Expand this a little bit more. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Right? If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. That is really interesting. Here the psalmist is saying that delight in God's word for him is a matter of survival. We recognize this about God's word. When Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's real. The question is, how aware are we of that in our daily lives? 
So, if, so the delight sustains us, sustains our spiritual lives. Next, we have verse 47. Actually, it's a quote um, on, on verse 47. The more we delight um, we take in the service of God, the nearer we come to the perfection we aim at. Right? God has, as I mentioned before, God has not simply given us a checklist of rules to follow. You know, one of the things that I've observed, and I've got some friends who are, are devout um, followers of something like Roman Catholicism or Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox Christianity, and um, I was talking about someone who's a relative who is doing that. And he said, "Well, well, this person is a rule follower." And I said, "Well, that's that's great for them because there's just a lot of rules." But I think what God has before us in His Word is something deeper than that. We quoted from Spurgeon a bit today. Uh, he wrote a commentary on the Psalms called The Treasury of David, which I highly recommend. He said this, next to liberty and courage comes delight. When we have done our duty, we find a great reward in it. Obey the command and you will love it. Carry the yoke and it will be easy and rest will come by it. Lord, let thy mercies come to us that we may love thy word and way and find our whole delight therein. The verse is in the future, and hence it sets forth not only what David had done, but what he would do. He would in time to come delight in his Lord's commands. He knew that they would neither alter nor fail to yield him joy. And I want to help us with our expectations as we look at this concept. This is not to mean that every time that we look at the Word of God, our hearts will just expound with joy. Hopefully you have moments like that. I have to tell you that that's not every moment for me. But God describes this word as seeds that are sown in our hearts. that bear fruit, and sometimes that takes time. So I would really encourage you, because anyone here have seasons of dryness in their time with the Lord, right? Don't we all? Keep at it. You're sowing seeds that will bear fruit that are just indescribable. So I just urge us to, to keep at it. And then we have this this wonderful, as, as you read Psalm 119, it, I, I'm reminded of, of the, the beautiful picture we have in Psalm 1. How blessed, right, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat, way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does... He prospers. I don't, about, I don't know about you. When I read that, that seems elusive. There are times, again, that I experience that. But it's not all the time. But God has set this wonderful vision in front of us. Um, and, and, and there's a lot I could say here. But I, one of the things we think about is what is, our, what is our view of prosperity? That sounds almost unbelievable, right? In everything he does, he prospers. But keep in mind... What God has in mind for us is what Proverbs calls enduring wealth, what God calls fruitfulness. This is way beyond material prosperity, which is not what this is talking about. This is talking about a heart that abounds with the character of God, really the fruit of the Spirit. This is the prosperity that God has for us. And so you see these words here that we've talked about. We've seen blessed. We've seen delight. Meditate's a big one. We're going to get into that a little bit more next week. So let's talk a little bit about the next word, revival. I don't know if you, any of you had followed what had happened in recent weeks about the Asbury revival. Um, and I, I just want to encourage you that you may have various opinions on that, but revival in the scriptures, is they're not specific events. 
if we look at um, Psalm 119, we see that this should be our continual experience, kind of like repentance. We don't just kind of repent, we're done with it, and we move on with our lives, right? That's not the life of a Christian. We live lives of continual revival. The psalmist said this, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me. Revive me according to your word. We're pleading with God to bring us life. And that's really what this word means. Uh, revive, the Hebrew word means to be alive, to live, to keep alive, right? And Psalm 119 employs this word to say that God's word both gives and preserves life. Um, look with me, if you will, at Deuteronomy uh, verses, uh, verse, chapter 32, verses 46 and 47, speak very pointedly to us about this. Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 and 7 say this, and he said to them, place in your heart all the words with which I am command, warning you today, this is Moses to the people of Israel, which you shall command your sons to be careful to do, even all the words of this law, for it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. And by this word, you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. I quoted it earlier, too, when Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, quoting Moses from Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you approach your life and do you approach God's word that way? Most of us would not think of going through a day without eating unless we're fasting for some special purpose, right? Because you need food. How much more do you need God's word? Do you approach God's word that way? Job said, I, I, have, I have valued his word more than my necessary food, right? And so when we ask God to revive us, we have a great sense of our need for his word. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but some of you who know me know that I, I tend toward anxiety and depression. And so when I wake up in the morning, this doesn't happen for me naturally. If I can be honest with you, I wake up desperate. If I don't get into God's word right away, it's going to go south very fast, and it's going to spiral down very fast. I'm going to go negative, and I'm going to bring as many people as I can with me. You don't want to be around me if I haven't been in God's word. That's just my experience. I know that's not everybody's experience, but in a sense, I praise God for it because I think it reminds me of just, it's, my need is very obvious to me. If I don't spend a generous amount of time in God's word every day, it's just not good. And I think that's the, the sentiment that is expressed here in Psalm 119. From Spurgeon, the word of God shows us that he who first made us must keep us alive. He's referring to Galatians 5.25, which says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, if, if God has made us alive, right, in Christ, then he is the one who sustains our lives. He does that through God's word. So he who first made us must keep us alive. It is a grand thing to see a believer in the dust and yet pleading the promise. A man at the grave's mouth crying, quicken me. Revive me, and hoping that it shall be done. Life is in both cases the object of pursuit that he may have life and have it more abundantly. It's quoting from Jesus in John 10 10. So we need revival. We need God's word to make us alive, right? 1 Peter 1 23, we have been born again not of seed, which is perishable but imperishable, 
that is through the living and abiding word of God. So God's word has birthed new life in us, and it sustains that new life. One of the things I'd like to talk about is I, I titled the lesson, God and His Word, because we're not simply talking about words on a page. We are talking about God speaking to us through the written, written Word, and we never want to separate God from His Word. They come to us together. So let's talk about God a little bit, and I love this from Deuteronomy 32, 3-4. For I proclaim the name of Yahweh, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. I think you'll see as you, as you wander, as you, not wander, as you journey through Psalm 119, um, that you will experience God. I love this verse too in Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your names. It's an amazing thing to think about. God and his word are right there together. I don't know about you, but I've heard people talk about this in terms like this. Well, we don't worship the Bible, do we? I think we want to be careful about how we talk about that. But it's God's word, and we worship him. Now, that accusation, it's called, um, let me give one more verse for you, and then we'll get into that. Um, how, God, how God personally comes to us, Psalm 119. 151, near are you, Yahweh, and all your commandments are truth. So again, I've repeated this a number of times. I want us to really get this, that God comes to us personally through his word more than anything else. And so so when when we think about getting into the book, we're not just getting into the book, right? We're experiencing him. So... Um, as we approach this, a couple concepts I want to encourage you with is the words perfection and presence. As we saw in, in Deuteronomy 32, we worship a God of infinite perfection whose thoughts, words, and ways are infinitely above ours, right? The verse says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so much higher are his ways, his words, his thoughts than ours. Surely in light of that perfection, we stand in speechless awe. I love Psalm 33, 8, and 9. I think, uh, Pastor Dave, you've quoted it several times in the creation series. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Right? This is the power of God's word. And I would say also the power of his written word. Yet in that perfection, he is not aloof. As I said before, he draws near to us through his word, reviving our souls and perfecting our ways. This is the purpose of God's word and particularly of Psalm 119. So let's look at a verse that's I think maybe very familiar to many of you. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we see those purposes that God has for us in his word. Teaching, reproof, correction, training, right? As you spend time in God's word, is it, is it teaching you? Is it reproving you? Yes, it is every day. Is it correcting me? Is it training me, right? Um, this is its purpose. And so all of this is seen in marvelous detail in Psalm 119. And by means of 
his promises and attributes and his powerful discipline in our lives as a loving father. He transforms us into the image of Christ in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So make this the very purpose of, this is the very purpose of Psalm 119 and make this your purpose. And Psalm 119 will be for you a most valuable companion. Okay, so with that, just a couple of warnings. Uh, I mentioned one earlier. This is the idea of what, what's sometimes called bibliolatry or worship of the Bible. And it comes from this particular passage in John 5. Uh, it says, you do not have his word abiding in you. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. For you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I just find that amazing. Um, so how confusing must it have been for the people of Israel at that time to see the people, to, to see the people who seemingly knew God's word best reflect his character perhaps the least? Imagine that. It's really, really confusing. They knew the book of life but refused to draw near to its author. That was Jesus' assessment of them. How could this be? I think as you unfold this through the Gospels, the Pharisees' focus actually wasn't on God's word. Their focus was on their own traditions by which they invalidated God's word. We see this in Matthew 15 and other passages. So when you really look at that, they worshiped not God, but themselves. They promoted, they said, you, you, you're, Jesus said, you are teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. In other words, you are putting your own ideas forward as if they are God's ideas. An example of pride, a greater example of pride can hardly be found. And this is something we really have to watch as well. Even as I teach this lesson this morning, I need to be tethered this is my phone, but I'm pointing to my Bible. I need to be tethered to what God says and promote that and not my ideas necessarily about what God says. Always going back to him. So what we find with the Pharisees is they didn't love God's word too much, but too little. And so, this, so when people talk to me about bibliolatry, I just don't think that accusation sticks, right? And I would, I would challenge us with this. Is there an epidemic of bibliolatry? Are there people out there who love God's word too much. Is, is this a problem? Has anybody seen this anywhere? I have not seen this anywhere. We need to trust. To, we're not thinking highly enough of the Bible, um, and, but always in relationship with the Lord. So I trust that as you meditate on the words of Psalm 119, you will see nothing of this sentiment of loving words on a page, but not God. But you will see a growing realization of the incalculable treasure that God has placed before you. You'll be blessed beyond measure as you experience God's presence as he speaks personally and powerfully to you through his perfect word. This is how I think the Lord would have us approach Psalm 119 and all of his word. Okay, I've got a second warning, and this was actually the warning uh, that, um, that we see uh, goes all the way back to creation. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. 
Paul would remind us of this in 1 Corinthians. But I fear that as the serpent deceived thee by his craftiness, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So that phrase, has God said, this rings through history and into our lives even today. I think Pastor Dave brought this out very clearly most recently in the creation series. Did God really say that? Is God's word really true and trustworthy? Because the attacks on God's word are constant, we need constant reminders of what it is. And Psalm 119 will remind you daily of the reality of what you have in front of you in the written word of God. You and I approach it as much as we may think we value it, we do not yet value it enough. And Psalm 119 will help us with that. God's words are certain and correct, and they are the only rock upon which to build a life, as our Lord has told us. Okay, that's a lot so far. (laughs) We doing okay? Okay, I'll send out the slides as well if you want to take some time in them. So there's actually, um, it's, it's not actually um, known or there's no, there's no broad consensus about who the human author of Psalm 119 was. I have an opinion on this, but I'm going to give you the options. These are three very good examples for us that we're going to walk through. Um, the first option is David, a king of Israel, man after God's own heart. So if you, if you read the Treasury of David commentary um, by Spurgeon on Psalm 119, he will talk about it as if David wrote it. Uh, and he will refer to events in David's life which is interesting. Um, Psalm 119, 103 through 104, right? Uh, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And so you look at David's life and you say, that sounds like David, right? David lived a life of utter dependence and love for God in his word, right? And so uh, we look at Psalm 19, 7 through 10 which is ascribed directly to David. And a lot of these words here, it's interesting, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 have some interesting similarities. This was David's view of God's word. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Look at all the things that God's word is and does. Amazing. It's perfect. It's sure, right, pure, clean, true. Restores the soul, makes us wise, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes. All of these things more desirable than gold. Psalm 119, it it, it expands on this principle. I think it's in verse 14, which says, I valued, um, it says, uh, more than all riches. I value your word more than all. Think about that. Think about how excited people get about potentially winning the lottery, which, by the way, that doesn't necessarily work out. That doesn't work out well for people. I think you know that when people do that. Um, but, But we think about how excited we can be about coming into some wealth. In Psalm 119, it says it's greater than all of that, all of that. Option two, in terms of who wrote Psalm 119, is Daniel. might surprise you a little bit. He was a man of conviction. He was an Israeli ambassador in the Babylonian exile. 
Uh, Daniel lived the life of resolved conviction and faithfulness, recognizing that the welfare of God's people was the result of their faithfulness to his word. And he expressed this in Daniel 9, 9, and 10. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we listened to the voice of Yahweh our God to walk in his laws in which he put before us through his slaves and prophets. He, he was living this. He was in exile, recognizing, I think it was in a recent sermon we talked about, the, about the Sabbaths, right? That God had, you owe me 70 years because, you, because of your disobedience. And Daniel recognized that the very situation he was in was because God's word was true. So Daniel's a, a, an interesting candidate to be the author of Psalm 119. And the third one, which I'll, I'll give away my, my hand, I, I gravitate toward this, Ezra, uh, priest for the returning exiles in Israel. Uh, Ezra, uh, Ezra presents to us a holistic approach to God's word, uh, an engaged heart, and a credible life as a foundation for teaching. And this is a verse that really motivates me whenever I prepare to do something like this, right? For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of Yahweh and to practice it and to teach his statute and judgment in Israel. That's a great chronology for us. If you're teaching in any way, your first task is to study it, then to practice it, and then to teach it. So as much as I enjoy teaching you today, this isn't the best part. The best part was the preparation, the time that I spent with God doing it. That's the best part. You're just seeing maybe something that would benefit you as a result. And so that's something that if, if you're involved teaching or serving in any way, right, we don't, we don't learn to teach. We learn to practice and then to teach. So Ezra is a good, a good candidate, a good candidate for uh, the authorship of Psalm 119. This here, I think, probably presents the heart of Psalm 119 more than in any other verses. Before we do that, I just want to go back to that concept. Um, I kind of uh, went a little fast, and I think we're doing well on time, about what, um, what Psalm 119 says, comparing God's word to riches. If you look at Psalm 119, verse 14, it was the one I was referring to earlier. I've rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Just, this is worth stopping and meditating and thinking about that. All riches. God's word. Rejoicing in the way of his testimonies. Obedience is more valuable than that. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. I think that's in verse 56, right? That's our, that's our most precious possession is knowing God and his word and obeying him. Um, I think there's another one. Was it... Uh, yeah. I'm trying to find it here, guys. I think this would be a lot slower in a paper Bible, but it's not going fast now. All right. Well, maybe I'll unfold that a little bit more next week as we, as we look at the value of God's word. So look at, look at these verses here. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I have not turned aside from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. Again, we see that personal teaching from God himself to us. How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get perception, therefore I hate every false way. 
going back to the concept of God's word being like seeds that we sow in our hearts, I don't think this is natural for us to love God's word this much. Our flesh doesn't do this. Our, our flesh actually will go in the opposite direction. But God's, God's word can actually change our tastes, our appetites, our affections, as the Puritans would call it, right? I think of when, um, when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In Matthew 5, 6, it's wonderful when we can get to that point in our lives where we might, our flesh might gravitate to certain other things, but it just won't do it for us. It just won't satisfy like God's word and God's righteousness will. You know, there are things that I've seen in my life over time. You know, we all have our, our besetting sins, right? Those things that we struggle with more than others. Um, anyone here have, a, uh, have the perception that I, I'll never have victory over this? Anybody experience that? Right? Hopefully we all have. Over time, I, I, I remember there's certain times in my life where I sat and I was thinking and meditating, and I realized, wow, that just does not have the appeal that it used to have. It just doesn't have the, the hold on my heart that it used to. You know, that delight that we talked about, I, I would default to, to this particular thought, whether it be anger or lust or whatever it is. I, I, just, I just don't want to go there anymore. You know, my delight is changing to be in God's word. And I sat there and I thought, well, you know, I know I didn't do that. I know I didn't make that happen. But God's word sown over time has had a transforming effect. Um, it's called sanctification, right? And for all of us, I think it's probably going slower than we'd like. Anybody want sanctification to speed up? I would like to. But this is where I really want to urge us to spend some time in Psalm 119 because it will give you hope and it will continue to cultivate those things. Um, it's a, I kind of look at it like an accelerator, if you will, uh, for your time in God's Word. So um, I urge you to meditate on Psalm 119 personally, slowly, and prayerfully. Um, and so this lesson is meant to encourage you in your intimacy with God and time in His Word. So this is my prayer for you. Uh, this is my prayer for us as we, as we get into God's Word. I am surprised to see that I am done with material. That went really fast. I, I, normally I have too much, and I was urged by my, my friend Danny and others to, to not cram too much. But I'm going to have to. I'm going to save the rest of it for next week. Um, we can interact a little bit, and I can maybe um, uh, walk through some of the verses that have been uh, particularly impactful to me. So I'm really surprised. This is not like this is not typical for me at all. I'm usually, I, I was told that I needed to end by ten, and I think I think we're going to end by ten. Some some comments or questions today. Steve. Yeah. So, so Steve says that the author of Psalm 118 is David. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, I don't, I, I, can I get back to you on that next week a little bit more? Um, yeah, um, it's in my notes somewhere. I, I think a lot of it has to do, as I recall, for, with the chronology and the timing of it, um, which seems to fit much better uh, for a later date uh, than David. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, if any of you saw the Sight and Sound uh, play on David, which we had a chance to see um, as a family, Ezra is a character uh, uh, on the, uh, in that. No, no, it was Esther. Thank you. It was in the play on Esther, which is much later. And Ezra is a character, and he's quoting from Psalm 119 throughout, throughout the play. So maybe that's how I got it, Steve, from a play. I, I don't think that's quite it. But, but they interpreted it that way, I think, um, perhaps. And we're watching too many movies, Steve said. Yeah. Danny. Mm-hmm. Ah, so I'll go back to, well, let's look at that. Um, so actually, those are unfolded a little bit more clearly or concisely in Psalm 19. So let's, go, let's look at that. Um, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10, and I think it has a lot of those words that you're talking about, Danny. And I think I have... I think I have your answers, Danny, in my study notes on my phone. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. So Psalm 19, 7 through 10, right? And you notice the different words that are used, right? The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. So that's one way of describing it, law. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise and simple. So you've got law, you've got testimony. Precepts, you've got a third word there, right? The precepts of, the Lord, of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. And then you've got a fourth one, the commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. You look a little bit further, Psalm 19, the fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true, they are righteous altogether. And I have to read the next couple verses. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave is warned in keeping them. I'm just going to keep reading. <laughs> this is good stuff. I'm going to gather some things here. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. I will be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. I think you're seeing some of the benefits already of what God's word does. Right? It, it helps discern our errors right? so that we can confess sin accurately to God, right? Um, it, it, uh, it brings sweetness to our lives. So it, to back, back to your question, Danny, the law, right? The law, I think, is simply the word Torah, right? It is, it is formally the law as given to Moses, right? That's, that's the first part. And, and think about what it says about that. Um, I'm just going by my study notes here. The law um, is perfect, restoring the soul. And how do, when people think of the word law, what do they think about? You throw this thing law at people, what, what are some, some of the, the, the things that come to mind? Rules. Yeah. What's that? The Ten Commandments, right? Legalism, right? You don't think, you don't necessarily think of something life-giving, do you? Right? You think of something uh, restrictive and oppressive. 
God's, not, God's law is not like that. We, we referred to it earlier. His commandments are not burdensome. Right? Wow. That's an amazing thing to think about. Um, so it, what does the law do? Um, it's perfect and restores the soul. We never get away from the law. Let's just think out loud a little bit. We, we were talking about this from Galatians, actually, so I'm giving away the answer a little bit. Uh, what, what are some of the other things that the law does? Show us our sin. Thank you, Tony. Glenda? Pointing you to look at the Word of God. I love what it says in Galatians. It is our tutor, right, to lead us to Christ. So isn't that wonderful? It shows us that we can't obey the law, which is discouraging, but it leads us to the one who did and fulfills that requirement for us. Isn't that amazing? It's life-giving. So there are, some, there are some pastors that have said we need to get away from the Old Testament. It's not life-giving, right? I'll just call out her name. Andy Stanley talks about this. He says we've got to get away from it. How are people going to come to Christ without that, right? How is that even possible? So that's the law. Um, the testimony. This is what God says about himself. Let me, um, let me just look up the Hebrew word here. And uh, some of the trained professionals in the room, like... Uh, can help us out here with that? We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're on, we're on um, test. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll get there, Steve. Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yep. It's a witness. Here, the testimony is yes. What God, essentially it's what God says about himself. Right? What God says about himself is true. Um, It's, it's, it is, it is in, in the clear sense, it is the witness, right? So God never lies. What he says about himself is true. What God says about everything is true, right? So, um, and that law, that perfect law um, restores the, the testimony, um, makes us wise. Isn't that what it says, right? That's a promise. The testimony of, of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple, right? We don't, we don't assess things properly, but shining the light of God's word does, right? Yeah. So that's testimony. Um, I can unfold this a little more. Well, we'll think about what we'll do next week. Precepts, right? That's, the idea behind that is that the collective mandates of God. That's probably the one that's most like rules, right, if, if you will. Um, it uh, means instruction, right? Um, I'm just reading this from um, my word study dictionary. It's a masculine noun meaning precept or instruction, um, the root expresses the idea that God is paying attention to how he wants things ordered. Right? So when God gives precepts, he's prescribing things. Things should be a certain way. Um, we were talking at Iron Man Tuesday night about um, the holiness of God. And if you look through the Pentateuch and how God wanted things ordered, it's painful detail. You can just feel the weight of it. Wow. You know, and I don't know about you, when I read that, I, I need a picture to show me what the temple looked like. It's really, it's just so much detail um, God has prescribed for us. So let me summarize. The law is the Torah, the law given by Moses. Um, the testimony is the witness of God, right, as you pointed out, Steve. Thank you for that. Um, and the precepts are how God wants things ordered, how God wants things done. 
what's next? Commandment, that's pretty straightforward, right? Commandments, um, uh, the edicts that God gives us, the direct commands. Um, and as I heard a brother say very simply, um, he is our king, and as such, his commands are not optional. How often do you look at God's word and you think, that's, 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 that's one of a few options for me? Maybe the best option, but it's in some way optional. No, this sharpens our focus to say, not not optional. Um, that and, and and those commands are and so those precepts are right, rejoicing the heart. Think about that. If God has prescribed something for me, do I rejoice in that or do I chafe at that? This is a kind of tells me where my heart is. A commandment, right? We talked about that. The the, the, the direct commands, they are pure, enlightening the eyes. And then the last one's judgments, right? His, his verdicts, right? I think is probably the best way to, to understand that, right? Um, a judgment is a legal decision. Uh, it's a proper claim, right? If God says something is so, it is so, right? Uh, if he has judged me by his word to be in sin, and then I need to repent. I need to pay attention to that. That's a long answer to a short question, Danny. And I think you see all of those. I know I went to Psalm 19 instead of 119, but those words appear there as well. So you see the kind of multidimensional um, aspects of God's word. Yeah. Some other, anyhow. What is the relevance of the author? What is the relevance of the author, and why do I think that the author remains unknown? Well, to Steve, it's not unknown. So Steve, Steve doesn't have the same dilemma uh, that you have, and I uh, that you have, anyhow. Um, you just well, there you go. He just assumed it. You assumed it. I got another one from a play, so we're not we're not doing great here in our in our study. Yeah. And I've practically said that, right? They are, they are so close. That's absolutely right. Um, I have a thought on that. Um, I don't know that no, if, if God wanted us to know any of who the specific author was, he would have told us. Um, so we don't need to know that to benefit from it. But, but, but I just, I thought putting those three possibilities in front of you is really encouraging because what you see is not people who wrote brilliant things from the, from the hand of God, but were examples to us and, and, and in some ways reflected the impact of God's word on their own life. That, that's really the only answer that I have. Um, I'm thinking of a verse, and let me give you, bear with me here, that uh, helps express this as well, um, from Ecclesiastes. Yeah, and this, this has more of a direct application, I think, to Proverbs, but when we think of God's word, this is a wonderful thing to think about. It says, the words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. Isn't that wonderful? They all come to us. From our Lord. Yeah. Glenda. Yeah. 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 Ah. Yeah. Yeah, so we don't learn God's word to show off our knowledge or to make a point or win an argument. Yeah. I've never done that. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I, I, I'm, I was terribly convicted. That's a, a, something I fight all the time, particularly as a younger man. Um, honestly, I'll tell you a brief story. I was at a conference one time. This was just one of these 
scary moments where um, my sister was there as well. And she said, well, Mark, everybody thinks you're just perfect. And I was horrified because I thought, well, that's not good. That speaks of pride. But then the Lord convicted me and, and, and reminded me, well, Mark, that's what you're going for, isn't it? You're trying to impress people. I thought, oh, I'm using his word to do that. It's terrible. That's very pharisaical, right? And so these words kind of carry weight for me because I see this tendency in my own heart. Even as I'm doing this, I fight. Any, anyone who teaches fights pride when they teach, right? I don't want you to walk away from this lesson and say, wow, Mark, Mark, is, Mark knows a lot about God's word. Isn't Mark wonderful? No, 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 that's not it at all. God's word is incredible. And it could take a, a schlub like me, and I don't know if that's even a word, but a wretch like me and just even do something, right? amazing. Cheryl. I'm, I'm doing this for people who can hear online. The written word is an expression of the, the, the word incarnate, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll try to capsulize that for maybe folks online. So um, God's word reflects God himself, in particular Christ, uh, and it's very dynamic. I, and I, as you were speaking, Cheryl, I think of all the things that we saw that God's word is and does. That's God doing that. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restores the soul. God restores our soul, right? Uh, God's, God's word is sure. It makes, he makes us wise. He enlightens our eyes, right? Um, yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. As, as you, so uh, that's really reflected, I think, in Hebrews 1. Um, uh, God, after many, after, after he spoke to, long ago to the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us through his son, right? whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Now, I've got a whole lesson on this. Like, I, 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 it's in my head. I could just go right up on that, but maybe we'll hold that off for next week. right? But we think of the implications of God. Speaking through his son. Yeah, wonderful. Did, Tony, did you have something? Slowly, prayerfully, yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Psalm 119 creates that longing, yes. Yep, yeah, yeah. That's wonderful, yeah. Because you, you see Psalm 119, and so many times I say, that's, that's so far from my experience, but I want that. I think what you've reflected there, Tony, is something we see in God's Word, is it, it both satisfies us and makes us hungry at the same time. Isn't that amazing? Because we need more. And I think what we're asking God for, Lord, give me more capacity for your Word. Increase my capacity. I'm just going to end with two thoughts. Going back to um, Has God Not Said from Genesis 3, that's kind of a, a good continuation from the creation series. I think Pastor Dave brought, up, brought about the fact that those who um, have different ideas about um, creation, let's say evolutionary creationists, if, if I can use that term, I would say they haven't read Psalm 119 enough because they don't have the... God, they'll, they'll admit, and you, you even gave some quotes there, that, well, I, I, I admit that that's not consistent with what the Word of God says, but, but, but what? This is God's Word. You don't, you don't have that option, right? So, so that would, I think, be an example of where, where we really need to be on guard. Where are those areas in our lives? Easy to pick on these, these scholars, so-called, right? But, but where, where are we not regarding God's word as it speaks to us in our lives in certain areas? That's, that's I think, what we really need to think about. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm going to go back to the, the, uh, the issue of revival real quick, and then we'll, we'll close. Um, when, it, when it says in Psalm 119, my soul cleaves to the dust. I mean, there's just this sense of desperation um, that I think you, you expressed there, Tony, that I'd like us to maybe end on and encourage us to really think about. Um, let's see if I can find it. Obviously, I haven't memorized Psalm 119 yet. So, if you, but do you know who did? I don't know if you know this story. Is a William Wilberforce and he was a parliamentarian in England who was instrumental in abolishing slavery, um, he would walk to Parliament. It was about a 15-minute walk, and that's about how long it takes to read Psalm 119. He memorized it, and that's what he would do as he would walk back and forth to Parliament. Incredible stuff, incredible stuff. I'll get it here, guys, and then we'll close. Yeah, Psalm 119. Uh, if you look around verse 25... Yeah, this is incredible. Thanks for bearing with me here. Um, this is uh, the Hebrew letter Daleth, so it's 25 through 32. And I'll just uh, read this and then we'll pray. 
my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Father God, we seek this in our own lives. We see here a a man who was cleaved to the dust, and you've revived him to the point of running in your word. We ask you to do that in our lives. Uh, We pray this week our time with you would be revived, strengthened. Uh, May our resolve uh, to... um, Seek you and your word. Be stronger than ever this week. And we trust you to transform us as we do so into the perfect image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.